Good morning. Whether you're joining us online, on public television, or here at the church in person, welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. I am Chris Jimerson, co-lead minister for values and mission at the church. My pronouns are he, him. I am so thrilled to be back with you after being out last week to go to our annual Unitarian Universalist General Assembly. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. This morning, I am so thrilled to welcome to help lead us through that search in this service, Julica Herman de la Fuente. Our guest worship leader, I was so fortunate to share some classes with Julica while we were in seminary together, and I've watched her become an important coach for anti-racism, anti-oppression, and justice in our faith. So I'm so glad she's here this morning. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person, and it's in that tradition that I invite you to greet the holy among us by saying hello in the comments if you're online or turning to those around you here in the sanctuary. Please join me in our words for lighting the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Hi. I'm so happy to be here with you. As Chris said, my name is Julica. My pronouns are she or ella in Spanish. And I offer you these words from the Reverend Rosemary Bray McNatt. By no means are we Unitarian Universalists perfect. <laughs> we often fail as much as we succeed. Yet even when we have broken our vows a thousand times, we return to this essential work of justice and liberation for all. We do the work best when we remember what church is and what it is not. Church is not a place to hide. It is not the place to get away from the world. It is not a place where we get to pretend that the lives we live and our particular situations are not terribly complex, often confusing, and sometimes depressing. Church is the place where we stand with one another, look the world in the eye, attempt to see clearly, and gather strength to face what we see with courage and, yes, with joy. Come, let us worship together. This congregation has a mission. It's our common religious purpose. It guides our decision-making. It informs all of our programs and ministries. We put it on our wall and we say it together every Sunday so that we might more readily carry it in our hearts throughout the week. Let's do so now. Together... We nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. This poem, Bahafta, by Aurora Levin Morales, really encapsulates 
what I hope you take away about the journey of joy and justice. And I do want to prepare you that there are some strong images in this poem, okay? Say these words when you lie down and when you rise up, when you go out and when you return, in times of mourning and in times of joy. Inscribe them on your doorposts, embroider them on your garments, tattoo them on your shoulders, teach them to your children, your neighbors, your enemies, recite them in your sleep, here in the cruel shadow of empire. Another world is possible. Thus spoke the prophet Roque Dalton. Altogether they have more death than we, but altogether we have more life than they. There is more bloody death in their hands than we could ever wield, unless we lay down our souls to become them. And then we will lose everything. So instead... Imagine winning. This is your sacred task. This is your power. Imagine every detail of winning, the exact smell of the summer streets in which no one has been shot, the muscles you have never unclenched from worry, gone soft as newborn skin, the sparkling taste of food when we know that no one on earth is hungry, that the beggars are fed, that the old man under the bridge and the woman wrapping herself in thin sheets in the back seat of a car and the children who suck on stones nest under a flock of roofs that keep multiplying their shelter. Lean with all your being toward that day when the poor of the world shake down a rain of good fortune out of the heavy clouds and justice rolls down like waters. Defend the world in which we win as if it were your child. It is your child. Defend it as if it were your lover. It is your lover. When you inhale and when you exhale, breathe the possibility of another world into the 37.2 trillion cells of your body until it shines with hope. Then imagine more. Imagine rape is unimaginable. Imagine war is a scarcely credible rumor that the crimes of our age, the grotesque inhumanities of greed, the sheer and astounding shamelessness of it, the vast fortunes made by stealing lives, the horrible normalcy it came to have is unimaginable to our heirs, the generations of the free. Don't waver. Don't let despair sink its sharp teeth into the throat with which you sing. Escalate your dreams. Make them burn so fiercely that you can follow them down any dark alleyway of history and not lose your way. Make them burn clear as a starry drinking gourd over the grim fog of exhaustion and keep walking. Hold hands. 
share water, keep imagining so that we and the children of our children's children may live. This is the time in our service where we center ourselves together. We breathe together. And breathing together, some pray, some meditate, some commune with the divine as we understand the divine. And breathing together, we follow that breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom, a place where we know pure joy, a place of greater love, a place where we're driven to cry out for justice, to build the beloved community. that place where a spark of the divine dwells within each of us. Breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence together, remembering that the sounds of small children and other human sounds are a part of that silence in this congregation. Breathing in, breathing out, we now enter into that time of sacred silence together. In a moment, I will invite you to light candles, candles of joy sorrow, hope, remembrance, resilience. Thank you. 
to get to that imagining, to that joy, first we need to do a little bit of unburdening. <laughs> what a week! What a year! What a four-year! What a decade! I mean, like, <laughs> we're going to play a game called And Another Thing. <laughs> And that's basically a verbal pylon of all of the things that are just much too much. We could also call it, I just can't even. But the reason that we call it and another thing is because we say and another thing every time we're going to add something to the pile. So I'm going to invite, to, I'm going to invite you to engage with me and share things out loud for others to hear. It's okay if only the people next to you can hear. It's okay if we create a cacophony of lament. Because we are going to release some of that energy. We're going to have a little bit of catharsis. So, think about a couple things that you would like to release. And I'm going to get us started. And then you'll join me. Right? You'll join me. Okay, thank you. Okay. The pandemic finished breaking my executive function. I mean, I used to be good at faking that I had things together, but not anymore. Not anymore. And another thing, is the pandemic really over? No. I mean, but yes, but no. Like, and another thing, there's too many emails. There's too many emails. And thank you. I mean, it's real. It's real. And another thing perimenopause and hot flashes what okay help me out and another thing the, the Texas grid keep going yes yes turn to the person next to you and say and another thing right right everybody go <sighs> Woo, shake it out. Shake it out. Woo. Let's breathe. 
feels good. I hope that helps. I hope that you realize, right, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one grieving. I'm not the only one struggling. I'm not the only one overwhelmed by the vast inequity, the sheer and astounding shamelessness of greed, the horrible normalcy of police brutality, of children in cages. Let's breathe again. (sighs) That's why we come to church, to remind ourselves that we are not struggling alone, to have a community of fellow travelers, to harness the energy of the larger body, to feel connected, to have a place to belong. Belonging is at the center of what we do here at church. Our UU congregations are an antidote to all the things. At its best, they are the place where we come back to charge back up and make deeper meaning and find the right next action to get into and stay in good trouble. I think that the reason that there is comfort in doing and another thing together is that somewhere along the line, we were trained to believe that if we don't have it all figured out, if we don't have it all looking like architectural digest, Martha Stewart, Oprah magazine, something, something, then we're doing it wrong. And another thing helps us to see all the ways that life is too much, and it allows us to break the facade. We have been holding ourselves to unreasonably high standards. We have trained ourselves to believe that we are only good, we are only as good as what we produce and what we accomplish. I'm going to say that again. We, are, we have trained ourselves to believe that we are only as good as what we produce and what we accomplish. So let's dig into that a little bit more. I really want to explore that. Why? Why do we create and try to live up to these unreasonable standards that have, that have us living stressed and feeling insufficient, that separate us from other people, that create this experience of frustration and isolation? And how do we strengthen our imagination muscles? How do we get better at the task of imagining winning? How and why did it get so hard to challenge the status quo? Well, of course, it's always been hard because the status quo is set up to be that, the status quo, the way things are, the existing state of affairs. And one of the ways that the status quo maintains itself, one of the tricks that it uses to stay in place is to give shape and limits to the stories that we tell and we are able to imagine. It's hard to imagine winning when you've never visited Wakanda. But once Wakanda becomes a possibility in your imagination, other things become possible too. I know that there is a few people in this room that are not Marvel fans. I still love you. We're good. Wakanda is the land of the Black Panther. It's a place in Africa that was never enslaved or colonized. My heart grew bigger 
My imagination got a little bit more fierce after I watched that movie. I recommend it to you if you can tolerate violent action movies. It's violent, but it's also beautiful and a really powerful message. Another way the status quo maintains its hold on us is by defining the parameters of what is good and moral in a way that keeps us focused on impossible individual achievements. I want to say more about this. I was lucky to study with the ethicist Dr. Sharon Welch at Meadville Lombard with Chris and Aaron. Dr. Welch wrote a book called The Feminist Ethic of Risk. And in this book, she analyzes and compares the definitions of goodness across different social groups, and particularly the way that white people define goodness and morality, and how this compares to the way African-American womanist theologians and writers make sense of what is good and right and valuable. Sharon looks at the way that African-American women survive and thrive in the intersection of racism and sexism. And what Dr. Welch found is that white folks have created what she calls an ethic of control. For white folks, who are historically grounded in the white Protestant ethic of work, goodness is defined as the ability to control the outcome of their actions. The ethic of control says, in order to be a good person, I need to do good deeds and demonstrate my goodness through my actions. And it's not just my actions, it's the outcome of my actions. Consider the mythology of this country, the stories that we lift up to tell us what is good. Look at all the heroes, heroes that singularly change everything. Some of you here in this room are old enough to remember the first Superman movie. Do you remember what happens when Lois Lane dies? He flies, yep, he flies around the world in the opposite direction of the rotation to turn back time? No, no big deal. You know. that's, that's how we do it when, when our beloveds die. Yeah. Mm. And it's not just Superman. It's Luke Skywalker. It's Harry Potter. It's Frodo. Yeah. Some of them have teams supporting them, but at the final moment, it's all about them and their strength, their capacity to use the force and destroy the Death Star, toss the ring back into the volcano, although that's really Sam, isn't it? But that's a whole other analysis. In any case, all of these stories are teaching us that if we want to be good, we have to be heroic. We have to overcome overwhelming odds. And of course, when we compare our lives against these heroic stories, we always fall short. And let me add that the ethic of control is a way of being that many of us in the global majority, those, those, those of us who are people of color, we have also bought into. We have assimilated into white institutions in order to survive. We've had a glass or two of that Kool-Aid, and we are holding ourselves to these unreasonable heroic standards as well. Maybe even higher standards, because our parents and grandparents taught us to work our tushies off and never give them a reason. The antidote to the ethic of control 
is what Sharon Welch calls the ethic of risk. The ethic of risk is what African-American womanist theologians and writers identify as the way to su successfully navigate the challenges of racism and sexism and the intersection of them. The ethic of risk defines goodness as the capacity to take strategic risks in community. When we operate from an ethic of risk, we define what is moral and good as the ability to strategically choose the risks that we take together to move the needle and challenge the status quo. Many of you will recognize the serenity prayer by Reinhold Niebuhr that says, God grant me the courage to change what I can, the serenity to accept what I cannot change, and the wisdom to know the difference. Right? You've heard that one before? Well, Sharon Welch says that the ethic of risk takes us far from this prayer and this orientation. She writes, the drive of moral life is that we can never know the difference between that which we can change and that which we cannot. Our challenge is to move creatively in a very different sort of adventure, one whose prayer is more like this. What improbable task with which unpredictable results shall we undertake today? <laughs> Let me read that again. What improbable task with which unpredictable results shall we undertake today? In trading an ethic of control for an ethic of risk, she writes, and in living out this ethos, we can neither undo the past nor control the future but we can learn from the past, and we can live creatively, responsibly, and compassionately in the present. Can I get an amen? amen. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, I learned a Mexican version of this ethic of risk, and it wasn't until a few years ago that I have come to realize how central it is to my theology and to my commitment to liberation and transformation. So I want to tell you the story of how I learned this way of being um, and, and why it's become so important to me. I grew up in Mexico. I came here when I was 18. And when I was a teenager, my, uh, my mom used to take me to this place called El Unicornio, the unicorn. It was a little restaurant theater, kind of like dinner theater, but instead of the, you know, musical shows that they do in dinner theater here, what they would do there is um, play guitar music and read poetry. It was really, really wonderful. It was this long room with long tables, and we all sat together. It was three long tables, and there was artwork all around the room um, with different representations of unicorns. The one that I remember the most, for whatever reason, is an ap apple with a unicorn horn. <laughs> it was really cute. Yeah. And there was a phrase across the top that said, No se puede vivir como si la belleza no existiera. We cannot live as if beauty does not exist. It was a wonderful place. It was a place of magic and inspiration. And my favorite show of all of them was Borges con Música. It was a poetry and music evening with the poetry of Jorge Luis Borges. And if you have not met Jorge Luis Borges, may I introduce you? Oh, my heavens. 
His poetry is truly magnificent, really just pushing us to think and feel and reach. And so in this show, there's a, there's a moment where Germán de Esa, the, the leader of the show, the, the rabble-rouser extraordinaire, um, he, he was a, a pretty important public figure in Mexico City. He has since passed and is now one of my ancestors. Germán tells a story in between poems, and, and it's an allegory, and he says, Borges, the student, went searching. And then he found Borges, the teacher, and he said, Teacher, what are the responsibilities of humanity? And Borges, the teacher, said to Borges, the student, two are the responsibilities of humanity, to be joyful and to be just. And you cannot sacrifice joy in order to have justice, and you cannot sacrifice justice in order to have joy. It is at the intersection of the two that we find the best expression of being human. This intersection of joy and justice has become the center of my anti-racism work. And I knew that this message would be well-received here because you have a minister for joy and justice. <laughs> what excellent, excellent work, people. Good job. Because on the one hand, it's not sustainable to do anti-racism work in, in ways that make us feel guilty or bad about the way that we have not been able to control the outcome of our actions. And I personally cannot and will not do anti-racism work from a place of anger and frustration because that will make me sick and it will kill me. And I'm not gonna die. Not from that anyway. <laughs> I need to feel hopeful and joyful in order to imagine winning. I will not sacrifice joy for the sake of justice. And on the other hand, neither can we sacrifice justice for the sake of joy. Because really, that's kind of called numbing. That's just another Netflix binge. Which, you know, there's a place for it sometimes. Sometimes we need a break. But if that's all we do to try to find joy is this, like, senseless seeking of, of like what, what one of my friends called shadow comfort, then at the end of whatever episode, whatever binge, whatever thing we're doing, that uh, is still there. We cannot sacrifice this need to make meaning and to make the world a better place. That's the justice piece in order to have joy. The place of real satisfaction for me is this that I belong to a community that is making a difference. That community is Unitarian Universalism. And I am doing my part by following what feels good and right in my body. I am taking good care of myself, and I'm pursuing the things that give me joy, because when I am joyful, I can do the work better. As our colleague Carol Sissel says, I serve from the saucer because my cup runneth over. I serve from the saucer because my cup runneth over. When I am joyful, my imagination is bigger. When I am joyful, I am more curious, more playful, more flexible. When I am joyful, I am already winning. 
I invite you to join me in this place of hope and possibility. I invite you to investigate your own personal intersection of joy and justice, the thing that you care deeply about and the thing that you do well naturally and that makes you feel good. I will meet you at the intersection of those things and we will keep on taking risks together. Amen? Amen. Vamos. Please join me in our words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Okay, now I can send you off. With these words from the Right Reverend Marta Valentin. In the intersection of joy and justice, down in the center between its twin leaves, where the moist murkiness is rife with possibilities, where joy is shaking roots and vibrating bodies as it grows towards the luminosity that is liberation. Joy is pushing justice up through the tiniest aperture, pushing towards its blooming inevitability, pushing in such a tender yet fierce way that justice has no choice but to erupt and burst into a thousand seeds that send their joy to scout more joy. And together, create a dark yet fulgent promise to honor both joy and justice or none at all. May it be so. Amen. Blessed be and have a wonderful week, friends. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.